We'll go ahead and have a seat. Once again, uh, good morning, Merry Christmas. Uh, My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm so glad you've uh, joined us today to celebrate Christmas Eve. We're We're gonna take a little bit of a break of what's traditionally expected on Christmas Eve. Uh, traditionally, we reflect on the coming of Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem. That's what we studied last weekend. But you guys, that's only half of what we're celebrating at Christmas. The Christmas season is called Advent, which is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means literally coming. Christmas is not only a day of looking back at Jesus' first coming, But it's every bit as much of a day to look forward to Jesus' second coming, and that's what we're going to do this morning. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. How are you feeling as the end of this year winds down? How have you been feeling the last couple weeks? I know many of us are feeling exhausted, spiritually dry, Maybe defeated, anxious, angry, lonely, sad, maybe just numb and bored. The truth is, whatever we're feeling today has less to do with our cultural climate or our current circumstances and much more to do with heaven. Randy Alcorn writes, quote, Nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think that we want, what we want is sex and drugs and alcohol and a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a new car, a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we're made for, Jesus, and the place we're made for, heaven. Nothing less can satisfy. If the last few years has taught us anything, it's that this world is not our home. Amen? And, and listen, that's good news. G.K. Chesterton wrote, When I heard that I was in the wrong place, my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. I finally knew now why I feel homesick while at home. That's why we're stressed out, you guys. It's why we're bored and anxious and depressed. We're homesick for something not in this world. And C.S. Lewis, as he famously said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the only probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So on this Christmas Eve morning, God wants us to get amped for his second coming and this other world. Open up your Bibles to Revelation 21. Revelation 21 is my favorite Christmas passage, and it is a Christmas passage. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen. Revelation was written as the Holy Spirit gave uh, Jesus' best friend, John, the Apostle John, a vision of what the end of the world is going to be like. And here's what John inspired And under the influence of the Holy Spirit saw Revelation 21, verse 1. If you're there, stay there. All right, guys, let's lean in. This is what we got out of bed for, right here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. First question we can ask the text is, where is heaven? Where do you think heaven is? Due to medieval art and modern day movies, most Christians believe that at the end of the world, the earth is going to be destroyed and God is going to, all t- he's going to take us up and take us away to heaven, to some kind of ethereal, celestial, angelic place far, far away. And is that what the Bible says? Notice verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, that's heaven's capital city, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Guys, God isn't going to take us up to heaven. He's going to bring heaven down to us, merging heaven and earth into the place called the new earth. If you're taking notes, you can write this. Christmas means heaven is coming here. Heaven is coming here. Listen, the greatest surprise of heaven will be the beauty of Jesus Christ. And the second greatest surprise of heaven will be just how earthy everything is. See, the idea that heaven is this wispy, almost invisible, ethereal, cloudy, angelic place, that's just a hangover from Greek philosophy. Opined by Plato, the Greeks believe that the physical material world is evil and the spiritual realm is separate. And what happened is, Uh, Early Christians who were brought up under the ideas of Platonism started reading those into the Bible, and soon Christians everywhere believed that the the physical realm, that's our earth, our bodies, our great food, good friends, Christmas morning, all of that is kind of earthy. It's inferior to the spiritual realm. And therefore, at the end of all things, the material will disintegrate as we all graduate this physical realm and go off into the heavenlies. One prominent theologian writes, quote, heaven is a spiritual condition more than a spatial location. Sounds good. But heaven's architect, Jesus, described it differently. He told us, John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, and where I am, there you may be also. So John 14 says heaven is a place, and Revelation 21 says Jesus will bring us to that place by bringing that place to us. You're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming to you when Jesus returns. Whereas the Greeks believe this world is inherently bad and and should be done away with, the Bible says This world, though diseased and disfigured now by sin, is good, you guys. It's good. The earth is good. Listening to a loon in the boundary waters on a summer sunrise is good. Your dog is good. Mine is not. Mine's a bad girl. But yours is probably good. God wants you to love what he loves. So you have Christian, if you're a good theologian, you have Christian obligation to love the good things of the world. Love great books. 
love drawn out dinners, love belly aching laughter, love Christmas mornings because the earth is good. I mean, just think about how the words God uses to describe what he's up to today all imply a previously good condition. Redeem, restore, recover, reconcile, renew, resurrect. All of these words tell us that God will not scrap this world and create a new one. He sent his own son on Christmas morning to redeem and restore this earth, his original project. But if you're paying really close attention, you might say, Chris, the verse says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. How can you say heaven is going to be here when verse one says it's going to pass away? Well, think of another verse that talks about a new creation and passing away. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Becoming a new creation in Christ involves radical transformation. And though we become new people, we do not become different people. I'm still Chris Osmus. I'm just new Chris Osmus. A lot of people ask, in heaven... um, Will we have the same body? The answer is yes. We will have a new body, a glorified one, but not a different body. We see this in Jesus. If Jesus, if resurrection meant getting a new body, Christ's original body would have stayed in the tomb. But the tomb was empty. Why? Because he needed his body back. In fact, what's the first thing Jesus says after his resurrection? Luke 24, 39. See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus showed them the marks of crucifixion to give us unmistakable evidence that this was was a new body, but the same body. The Westminster Larger Catechism crystallizes this truth, stating, The selfsame bodies of the dead, which were laid in the grave, being then again united to their souls forever, shall be raised up by the power of Christ. The Westminster Confession doubles down, All the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other. Why do I spend any time on this, especially on Christmas Eve? Because... I know a lot of us, when we look in the mirror, we don't like what we're looking at. But soon you're going to love what you see. Soon, because your body is going to become new and glorified, not just in his eyes, in yours. Now, I don't know if that means we all get IQs of 10,000 and washboard abs, but I do know this. 1 John 3, 2 says, when we see him, we shall become like him. Which means we'll just perfectly love what he already loves perfectly. And God loves your body today perfectly, flabs and all. So just know one of the things we're celebrating at Christmas is that resurrection's coming. 
And when you look in the mirror, you're going to love what you see to the glory of your creator. Don't hate your body. Just calmly await your resurrection. Paul Marshall writes, this world is our home. We were made to live here. Yes, it has been devastated by sin, but God plans to put it all right. Hence, we look forward with joy to newly restored bodies and to living on a newly restored earth. This means we can love this world because it is God's and it will be healed, becoming at last what God intended from the beginning. Guys, that is what Christmas and Advent is all about. We celebrate Jesus' first coming, and now with Christmas wonder in the air, we anticipate his second coming. I know um, whenever we talk about heaven, many of us are thinking about our loved ones that we've already lost. You know, what, what are they doing right now? And if you're missing someone this Christmas, I'm with you. It sucks, doesn't it? Uh, my, mo- my mom passed away during the holidays a few years ago, and holidays are just extra hard, aren't they? But she's having a great day today. Let me tell you why. Our loved ones who asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins are right now in what theologians call the intermediate state. Turn to your neighbor and say that, intermediate state. Come on, we, we don't do Bible light on Christmas Eve. We're doing work this morning, intermediate state. The intermediate state doesn't mean they're kind of halfway between heaven and hell, like this purgatory-esque place. The intermediate state is heaven fully, but not heaven finally. God's presence is there with them right now in full. That's why my mom is having a great Christmas morning. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. But it's intermediate in the sense that its location is temporary, not final. In other words, what your loved one is experiencing right now is better than here, but not best. Uh, We covered this a little bit in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Right now, we have a body. Everyone say thumbs up. That's good. But sin, not good. If you die before Jesus comes back, you go to a place with no sin, that's really good. But also, no body. Not good. But even without a body, Philippians 1 says that it's far better than here because to die is to be with the Lord, with Jesus. So it's way better, but it's not best. What's best? Being in a place with no sin and getting your body back. New bodies, new earth, no sin. That's what's coming to us in heaven. Christmas is about God sending Jesus to make a way for new bodies and a new earth and no sin. But, but here's, the, here's the convicting question. Would, would that be enough for you? John Piper once asked, if you could have heaven and it's better than anything you can imagine. Like, like picture all your friends are there. It's the best food. It's so much fun. Maybe you can fly. I'm sure hoping we can fly. I don't know if that's going to be a thing, but just imagine that it's so much beyond belief, better than you thought. How would you feel if everything is there except Jesus? 
Could you be satisfied with all of that if Jesus wasn't there? Thankfully, we don't have to make that decision. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself, he's not going to outsource this, God himself will be with them as their God. Again, if you're taking notes, write down Christmas means he is coming here. Not just heaven, he is coming here. Christmas in a single sentence, Matthew 123. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the Christmas story begins with God with us, and it ends with us with God. At the first advent, God came down to Bethlehem to be with us. At the second advent, God will bring heaven down so that forever we can be with God. And listen, that's what makes heaven, heaven. I heard uh, once of a pastor, he was talking about a radio show he was listening to where, where famous people were calling in and were asked what they thought heaven would be like. And he said that a, a consistent three-point pattern began to emerge in all their answers. One, everyone believed in heaven, and that's statistically true, even in uh, Americans today. Two, everyone assumed they would be there. And three, not one of them mentioned Jesus. But as Sinclair Ferguson writes, but it's the presence of Jesus in holy, loving majesty that makes heaven what it is. Heaven is the presence of God. Just as it doesn't just contain the presence of God. Heaven is the presence of God, or we could say the presence of God is heaven. Teresa of Avila famously said, wherever God is, there is heaven. Heaven is simply the physical extension of God's very presence. To be with God, to know him, to see him, that is the central, irreducible draw of heaven. Just flip your Bible over one chapter. It's the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Just feel how God-centered heaven is. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. Oh, that's going to feel good. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants, that's us, you guys, will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. In the same way, you don't need to bring a flashlight to the beach on a hot summer day. When Jesus returns, we won't need the sun. Because Jesus in infinite 
resplendent radiance will be our light. Not only will we see his beauty, but his beauty will be the lens through which we see everything and everyone. The presence of Jesus, you guys, will be the air we breathe, and it'll only make us want to breathe deeper. And I just can't get over verse 4. Did you see that? They will see his face. What's that going to be like? The English poet John Donne said, I shall rise from the dead. I shall see the Son of God, the Son of glory, and then shine myself as the sun shines. I shall be united to the Ancient of Days, to God himself. No man ever saw God and lived, and yet I shall not live till I see God. And when I have seen him, I will never die. Seeing the face of Jesus. Guys, remember, no man can see God's face and live. That's why Moses had to hide himself behind a cleft of the rock back in the day. Guys, soon you, yes, you, believer, will see his face as often and as constant as you see the sun. And that right there, experiencing and enjoying the glory of God in the face of Jesus, that is what makes heaven, heaven. This Christmas Eve, prepare your heart to see his face. Trust that your depression and your anxiety and that low-grade irritability that just won't go away and the, the loneliness and that sense of defeat and the, all of that are hunger pains for him. And rejoice that Jesus coming the first time as a baby is the promise and the proof that he will come again. This time not to just take away sin and death and Satan, but this time to give sinlessness and life and himself and everything you could ever imagine in himself. The next question, what will not be in heaven? Look at verse four. Here's what won't be there. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. For the note takers write, Christmas means hurt no more. Guys, just look at the things that God says has an expiration date. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No tears. Imagine a child is crying down in vertical church. You probably don't have to imagine that. Just listen closely. Say she misses her mom. It's one thing for a volunteer to say, oh, I'm sorry. There's a box of Kleenex, sweetie. It's entirely different for that volunteer to get down at the child's level. Look at her in the eyes and tenderly wipe her tears away. Look at verse 4 again. He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes. Jesus himself will bend down to your level. He will look you in your eyes and will tenderly himself wipe away every tear from your eyes. And when he does that, Tolkien said, everything sad will become untrue. No tears. Look again, verse 4. And death shall be no more. No death. At Christmas, Jesus took on flesh to defeat death for whoever would turn from their sin and toward to him. And if you will do that, then death is no longer a period at the end of your sentence, but a comma right before it gets insanely, eternally good. No tears, no death, neither shall there be mourning. Oh, we, some of us need to hear that this morning. As we grieve the loss of loved ones, maybe there's someone in your life who's not talking to you right now and you love them and you're mourning them this morning. If you're mourning, God brought you to church this morning to say to you, I see you. I'm with you. And he's saying right here in verse four, just wait, child. This pain will pass. In a short time, I will turn your mourning into dancing. Your shouts of pain into shouts of joy. Verse 4, no mourning, no, no crying. The, word, the Greek word literally means to wail or shout. Have you ever, either in your body or in your soul, felt such intense pain that you just can't stay quiet? Like you can't hold it any longer, you just break and let it all out? As soon as Jesus returns, once again, you won't be able to stay quiet, but this time, not because the pain is so excruciating, but because your joy and your love is so explosive. Nor crying, no pain anymore. If you are feeling pain today, physical, emotional, relational, just wait, loved one. There's nothing you're feeling today that a good resurrection won't fix. And now in in verse 4, the text gathers up all those five things and then throws everything else in that sucks about this broken world and puts an expiration date on that too. See in verse 4, for the former things have passed away. Everything that, that doesn't intensify your joy in God will in a blink of an eye be gone forever. I mean, what will that be like? All we have ever known is life restrained. Even those greatest, happiest moments that we've ever had were still weighted down by a hint of heaviness. You know what I'm talking about. You know the vacation has to come to an end. You know you have to go back to work on Monday. You know it's all, even the best moments are still weighted down. What will it be like, guys? When our fears, insecurities, anxieties, guilt about sin, unmet desires, daily disappointments, 
all of that is just peeled off. Leaving only you and Jesus and forever. You might think, yeah, but what about all the regrets of this? I mean, I've made so many mistakes. I've sinned so much. How will I be able to enjoy heaven without feeling stabbing regrets of what I did here on earth? Well, did you notice that the picture of Revelation 21 is of a wedding? Verse 2 says, heaven comes down as a bride adorned for her husband. When a couple is standing at the altar on their wedding day, they aren't thinking about all those little tiny tiffs they had during dating, you know, Chipotle or Qdoba, when it got them. In fact, not only are they not consciously thinking about those insignificant little fights, but all the conflicts that they have safely come through to get to this day are part of the glory of now marrying one another. This might be the greatest surprise of all. Your regrets, your shame, your guilt, your sins will not only not stifle your enjoyment of heaven, they will all be part of your final glory as Christ marries you and us. That's his pride. In other words, our scars here will be our beauty marks there, as Dane Orland says. Or as C.S. Lewis said, heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into its own glory. That's it. So this is what Christmas enables us to anticipate, you guys. So here's the final question. How do we get to heaven? Let me first ask you the question, do you expect to be there? If so, why do you expect to be there? Because you're a good person? Better than some people? Because you're a good Christian, maybe? If you're assuming you'll be in heaven because you're a relatively good person, I need to be honest with you as a preacher. If you believe you're a relatively good person and because of that, that's why you're going to heaven, you're not going to heaven. Because heaven is not for people who think they're good. Heaven is exclusively for people who know they're not good who know they're so bad that they need a savior. See, the first thought of people in hell is, I can't believe this. I deserve heaven. And the first thought of people in heaven is, I can't believe this. I deserve hell. You see, no one gets to heaven through goodness. You can only get to heaven by grace. And you only get grace when you ask for it. When you repent and say, I need grace. And Romans 8, 24 says, when we do that, in this hope, we were saved. Hope for what? Hope for grace. Hope for mercy. Hope for forgiveness. Hope for eternal life in Jesus. Christmas means hope in him. 
See, the, the reason there will be no tears or death or mourning or crying or pain is because that little baby grew up and went to a cross to pay the penalty for our sins where he cried the tears that we deserve to cry. He felt the pain that we deserve to feel. He died the death that we should have died. Why? So he could look at all those tears, all that death, all that mourning, all the crying, all the pain, and on behalf of all those who would trust in him, say, it is finished. Paid in full. So loved one, the invitation is for you. It's why you're at church. It's why God brought you to church this morning. Because the invitation is for you. Hope in Jesus this Christmas. Receive Jesus this Christmas. John 1.12 says, but to all, I love that word, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do I receive Jesus? How do you receive a Christmas gift? You just receive it. You just accept. You don't go, oh, that's too much. Oh, let me pay you back. No, no. You just humbly accept the generosity. You humbly accept the grace. Receive Jesus this morning. Accept his grace. If you do not receive Christ, this life is as good as it's going to get for you. If you receive Christ, if you just believe in his name, this life is as bad as it will get for you. Because he will return, bringing heaven with him to you. What will heaven be like for all those who just trust in Jesus? I think it'll be something like how C.S. Lewis concludes the Chronicles of Narnia. After seven epic books, the final paragraph of the whole story goes like this. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before.